Welcome to the Creative Curmudgeon. My name is Jason Crone, and today I have the honor of speaking with Mr. Justin Pearson. He's played in lots and lots of loud bands that your grandparents probably wouldn't like. Uh, the current ones, and correct me if I'm blanking out on any of them, are Planet B, Death Club, Satanic Planet, and Dead Cross. Yes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Justin also runs 31G Records. Uh, he has a podcast called Colton Culture. He's an author. Is there anything else that you want people to know about you? No. <laughs> well, 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 what outside of that? I, let's let's uh, let's start by asking you, what do you do for for hobbies or whatnot outside of music? Do you have other big interests? Yeah, I think most of like, <clears throat> well, I try to figure out a way to navigate life where everything kind of is in one big thing you know where so like where you go to work and that's your work and then you you, you go home and they're separate like for me it's all kind of the same you know and it's, it's times i'm like is this work i mean I'm, I'm doing cool shit or like creating something or running a record label and like yeah it's definitely work at times and it's it's not fun at times so it does feel like a job every now and then but for the most part it is also the thing that people i mean i've i've known people that have run record labels or that play music as a hobby and and then that's like their their thing that they do for fun so i don't know i, I just i guess long, long long answer shorter hopefully is that i just kind of blurred both sides of the spectrum and it's all one thing but non musically speaking i i i i suppose i um I do yoga a lot and I, uh, and I'm, I'm obsessed with my dog. So, uh, I do like dogs stuff all the time. Um, I guess those are the, <laughs> those would be the, uh, I wouldn't even say those are hobbies either though. It's just stuff I do. Um, tell me about your dogs. Uh, I just have one cap. His name's captain. He's, um, I think he's a genius. Um, yeah, I don't know. He's super cool. He's very sensitive and weird. I guess like me, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so, I have a I have a Jack Russell Terrier Chihuahua mix, and I've always been like really allergic to dogs and cats, and so I have only been able to get so close emotionally to to them. And so I, up until a few years ago, I hadn't experienced like like I understood it logically how people could get like so attached to their animals, but <clears> like I didn't I hadn't had that intense experience before my my girlfriend moved in seven years ago and brought her dog and now i totally understand that like okay i would friggin i would friggin be without a, a house before i would get rid of this dog like that That's sort right. of just like attachments like it's 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 something else yeah i i think maybe they they're teachers they teach us um things that maybe we don't even comprehend, but they teach us things like patience and empathy and stuff. But also I think they have the ability to kind of look into our soul and um, obviously they communicate not necessarily through language. So it is pretty interesting for us. Um, and then they're also, they also depend on you. Um, so you inherently create a bond, but um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, if, the, if you have the right dog in your life or cat or whatever animal and you connect with them, there's something else that happens uh, that I think shifts us from like human nature or like, cause humans are, are pretty arrogant. Um, and I, I feel like maybe other species aren't quite up to par, <laughs> par with us. Um, my dog has the person, like a real fuck you personality that I don't <laughs> know if that's like super common in other dogs, but he's like an avoidance sort of dog. Like he, he, would never do a trick in a million years, nor would we like try to get him to do a trick, but just like he does everything on his own terms. It's very surly, but also like very like loving, but there's definitely like a, a rebellious fuck you attitude to him. Like what, a what sort of vibe do you get from your dog? Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I try to figure out like what happened to him before I got him. Cause he, he's really skeptical of most humans. Like he really doesn't like a lot of people, which is, which is, which I can understand why, but it's like, man, he's so cute. Everyone wants to love him. And he's like, you know, he'll, he'll like be scared of them. So it's, it's just weird. But um, I don't know, like just seeing his like 
uh, unhinged enjoyment, you know, like it, when he like gets to do like in his, in his element, like he's really into the beach. And so like, we'll go to the beach and he'll just, he'll just rage so hard that like, it's pretty gross, but like, he'll go and like, we'll, we'll like throw, you know, like his toy into the ocean. He'll keep getting it and getting it and getting it so much to where he'll just like shit out seawater, you know, like and he like just doesn't, doesn't care, you know? And I'm like, that's so rad. Um, and then, you know, it'll get like dark. I'm like, dude, we got to go. It's dark. It's like nighttime now. And he just still wants to, to rage. So, I mean, those are, those are pretty cool. Um, you know, I feel like, um, when humans do that, we just fuck everything up, you know, <laughs> like if we're like, so into something, we just go berserk and then we, then we destroy it. So yeah, if you're shitting seawater, there might be something going on. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. With yoga, I've uh, I've been doing videos just from this person, Maddie Morrison. And the reason I watch her specifically is because there isn't talking. So I can just like listen to whatever music and then just like kind of follow along. So it's really hard for me with YouTube yoga videos a lot of the time when like they're sitting there like, hi, YouTube, today we're going to bring up our yeah. positive energy. Um, but it was also really hard for me, like when I was doing yoga in person, because like no expert of it or anything. And so there, there'd be like these people, a lot of them yuppie-ish that would just be doing it really well. And then I'd just be like looking around and be like, oh, fuck, I'm like, I, I look like such a doofus. <laughs> I don't know if you had that experience or have had that experience doing yoga or your experience playing in bands. Maybe you just like don't give a fuck because you've already overcome mm. that stage. Right. Is, is that mean that ringing a bell? Hmm, that's interesting. I, yeah, the, I don't give a fuck thing is is something that definitely is in my DNA. But um, like I I do trip out uh, yoga specifically. I, I have a lot of problems with like the sort of bourgeois element of it. You know, where I mean, I don't think that's what it's intended as. But a lot of times in Western civilization, when you go to like a yoga studio to practice, it's it's it is in that in that realm. And I I, I do like have problems with things like let's wish peace on every living creature. And I'm like, absolutely no, like there's, there's no possible way. And it's crazy because I'll sit there and look at everybody and, you know, and I, I'm, I mean, I'm privileged too, just like all, you know, to an extent, like all the people there, but um, I, I just have a lot of problems with some of the, like, um, I don't know, just some of the elements that are attached to it. But, but as far as like, when I go, when I go, people do think I'm like, um, weird as fuck and and like they kind of trip out on me i go with one of my my bandmates um there's a, a studio that we practice at that's right by his recording studio so we we go there um almost daily and, and people like kind of trip out like they were they get it you know we look like we look different or we'll have like a shirt with like some satanic shit on it or something and they'll just they'll trip out and then uh i don't know like yeah i, I like i like that i uh I don't know what the right word is. I like that. Like they question or like, they are not comfortable with me because like, fuck them, you know, and <laughs> uh, for judging me, I guess. Uh, and, but I, I, I um, practice and I realize that uh, I'm pretty, pretty good at it. Uh, and, and I think like, uh, I, I'm also aware and I was aware from the start of when I, when I first started it, doing it is like that if you're fucking up or you're doing it, you know, uh, incorrectly or something, um no one's judging you so like when you're doing it no 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 one should care and if they do if they do have an issue with what you are doing then then they're they're probably in the wrong um you see in my mind like i'm just like everybody is stopped what they're doing in the room and they're looking right at me and like, God, <laughs> that especially because it's like weird being in there to begin with because like years ago years ago i worked at whole foods and so like there was like some deal where whole foods employees got like a free deal to go to this yoga studio that was normally like a hundred dollars a month or some shit mm -hmm. so if you can pay that amount to go to a yoga studio each month you might not suck but you probably do so like there's already just like that yeah. going into it so but yeah I, I i i hear what you're saying well you know i for me, like if I if I was to see someone like you doing it incorrectly, I wouldn't be looking at them and judging them. I'd be like, oh, I want, I would love to just go and like, you know, help you, like pull look, pull your shoulder up, or you know, like I, that's that's the one thing I see when someone's doing it incorrectly, not like what what they're doing it wrong. I look at them and like, oh man, I wish I could just blurt out like, hey, straighten up your leg, or you know, whatever something. Um, and I guess that's the opposite of what. Uh, you're assuming people are thinking if they're looking at you. So there's that, but 
the studio that I go to is kind of weird. Like I, I, there's a, a lot of it comes down to the, um, I think the different kinds of instructors, because you can have some that are hit or miss and they're, they're all over the spectrum. It's like a band, I guess, you know, you go and see a band if they're going to play some certain kind of music or whatever. So these people are performing uh, and teaching you these different styles and they have different ways of doing it. And that's, that's interesting too. So you kind of have to pick the right person, but the studio that we go to uh, they're, they're cool because if you work on the street, you get like uh you get a discount. So, so, um, a, so, so Luke Kinshaw from Planet B and Satanic Planet, both of us get to go for free. Uh, so that's that uh, unlimited. <laughs> so you can't beat that. Uh, um, and they're cool. They think we're weird and that, and they, you know, they, they embrace that. And I, I, I can appreciate that. So, yeah, I don't know. But um, I was reading uh, in preparation for this, I was skimming your your Wikipedia, which is obviously a flawless source of facts wikipedia is um so maybe this isn't even true but is it true that you uh used to break dance yeah um wow. when i was when well, i was a kid yeah how, tell, tell, tell me about that that's funny that's even on there <clears throat> but it's also interesting too because i've been i made an i heard about this studio here that that teaches and i i was thinking about going and taking lessons because i can't really do a whole lot i mean when i did it um I think the the craft has evolved. I I, I got into breakdancing when like Breaking the movie came out and and Beat Street and then and then Breaking Two, Electric Boogaloo and all that shit. Um, but when, it was crazy though when I was a kid and, and Breaking One came out, I, I saw it in the theater and I remember people just breakdancing in the aisles and shit. It was so wild and I mean you would never. I don't know if you would really see that. I guess I saw one of the Star Wars things and people were like had lightsabers and shit so maybe it's similar to that but anyhow um yeah breaking was a thing um but it was a strange time for me um i think like 82 ish or something um when break dancing was like the thing there was also this i grew up in phoenix so there was i got into metal so i was like really into like heavy metal and break dancing which is and like hip-hop so it was a strange mix of of stuff um so I, I I think the 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 sort of metal side got more of me and I and I and I transitioned out of the breakdance uh, world. Um, I got into skateboarding and shit too. So that I think that that replaced the the sort of like athletic aspect of it or something. That's wild to imagine people. At I've, I've never heard stories about when breaking came out and people like actually like dancing like at the theater. That that's awesome. I haven't seen anything like that before. Was there anything from that that you brought into? Because, you know, when you perform live, you know, you get down. I wouldn't say you break dance, but like, is there like anything that you carried over into performance from break dancing? I mean, I think watching um, breakers like B-boys and B-girls do, doing their thing is so impressive. And I, I, I think it's captivating. Can I do it? No. Um, but like, is it something that is very interesting to me? Yes. So I think like that... In, in like relation to seeing like, like, you know, even early on, like seeing bands like Devo and, and, and stuff where they had a sort of vibe um, trend translated into obviously into like things like the Locust. So um, there was, uh, so the, a, a conscious thing that happened was the Locust did a tour with Dillinger Escape Plan. I don't know what year this was. And it was really weird because um, they are such a, a like, they, they perform so well, they are so insane. Um, and we, not that we needed to compete, but, but their, um, perform their like level of performance just was so, um, impressive that we, we needed to match that intensity, um, you know, ourselves. So, so, and we were also, we, you know, we, we were, we were like sort of like tethered to our pedal boards and our mics. So we didn't have like a singer or like, you know, Bobby couldn't jump off of shit because because he had to sing and, and play um, with his effects and stuff. So so we we I guess inherently started doing things that you would see like robotic, you know, like sort of Devo or breakdancing ish, mm -hmm. which kind of fit with our aesthetic, wearing uniforms and being like this sort of like campy sci-fi thing. So so I think that was like all, you know, the the um inspiration or you know things that we were inspired by as, as, as younger people kind of translating into our, the modern day thing we were doing and and then in retrospect we were like oh that's the way we can heighten our performance like 
to be at the same level as, as them or not the same, but like, you know, uh, just to, to not be like schlubs compared to a, a very, uh, you know, uh, great performing band. <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. That that's interesting. So like kind of the jerkiness of your movements, which kind of matches like the frequent starts and stops that are going on through the songs kind of, like obviously there's the Debo influence, but then like the breakdancing influence as well. That's really interesting. I mean, there there was times where like I wasn't consciously doing it, but after a while I would be like, oh yeah, I'm I'm I'm, I'm positioning myself weird. Uh, yeah. Why? You know why? I don't I don't know. Um, I mean, also too like um, a lot of it was interesting because you you know we would wear masks and I and I we'd set up in this line, so like I'd have to see like through my peripheral vision, I have to watch for cues from, from Gabe when he was drumming. So, so I would, you know, I would just feel like I'm contorting sort of, which I guess maybe ties into the fucking yoga thing too. I, I don't know. It might be all encompassing. I guess it is. Yeah. But um, so it would be like those kind of things, like trying to not like turn and be like, yo, when's the, you know, when's the weird timing happening? I, I could just kind of like see it and move with it in, in a, in a, in a, in like a weird, in like a weird way, I guess, a uh, weird uh, way. Weird, like Debo, um, you know. What's a what's a typical day like for you? Hmm. <laughs> uh. Well, I get like I get uh roughly 120 emails a day, and 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 I try to get through all of them. Emails like and also like contacted through social media, um, like mainly for three one G, but just for like stuff. Um. So, um, I'm I'm I try to like reply to everybody so it's a lot of bullshit um uh that i have to do like bullshit as in like a lot of just stuff to get through um and then i go and do yoga once a day um i try to uh do normal things like eat good food and and try to be i don't know do whatever do something with my dog but yeah and then uh you know i'll i'll, I'll work on different things like depending on what the project is um recently i'm i've been working on a, a new book so i've been writing um and re-editing my the stuff i wrote um or i'll have rehearsal depending on something coming up or if someone's working on a record um or i'll go to the studio a lot um so luke henshaw who's in planet b and satanic planet has a studio that's down the street so i go there often we also do the podcast uh cult and culture together so i'm i'm there all the time doing something with him so um yeah it'll be a lot of just like it's all pretty cool, I guess, but I don't know. As I get older, the days go by faster. I'm like, fuck, this is crazy. Like, and then the whole week and the month and then the next, you know, it's like another year. So it's, it's pretty wild. Um, but like, um, the regular day is just like the hustle, I guess. And then, um, you know, obviously touring and, and stuff comes up. So, so the bass is my favorite instrument to play. And it wasn't until fairly recently that I realized that a lot of it has to do with just like the feeling of low vibrations, how just having that go through my body is like this very like calming sort of feeling versus mm -hmm. like hearing like really high pitched uh, frequencies, which is also really cool, but just like a lot more cathartic feeling. And even, and maybe even especially with distortion on the bass, I like, you know, some of my favorite bands like lightning bolt, big business, et cetera, like, obviously like very have that sound that even though it's like loud as fuck it's also like kind of soothing in some way i was curious like if there was any reason like that why you gravitated towards the bass or why you did um i love that question um yeah I, I, it's weird because i think um i didn't really realize it for a long time why i was why that was my instrument of choice um i think Looking back in retrospect, if I could have been a drummer, I would have chose that. Um, but as far as like playing an instrument, bass was my thing. And I realized that um, the first thing that really made an impact on me was that band No Means No. So I kind of, I had a guitar and I fucked around with it a little bit. But then it was kind of when I heard No Means No that I realized that 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 the bass is is not just like the instrument that plays along with the guitar. I was like, holy shit, this is crazy you know, and you know, means no, like had a lot of like, um, you know, the, the bass is up front. It also was like funky and also had like, um, just kind of like an interesting tone and, and vibe overall. And, um, just one of the best bands of all time. Like, oh yeah, it, it, totally. That, that record wrong is so great. Um, so, um, that was kind of like what got me to really leap into becoming a bass player. Um, and then it wasn't kind of like until, I got fully into music that I realized like I grew up um, 
not really understanding the the difference in like instrumentation, but like I grew up being really um, psyched on a lot of synth stuff. So like, uh, you know, a lot of times the synth is playing similar bass lines or the bass line. Um, and so I sort of went from like playing regular bass in my first band. So the second band I played bass in was the Locust. And that was like my, my, my sort of goal was to almost emulate this sort of bass synth. Or uh, also, like like you said, like with distortion, I just wanted it to be like gnarly, like this really full bed, you know, of sound. And 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 again, like the high pitch stuff's great, um, but I just really liked the the groove and the the sort of low end, and that also fit into like percussion percussion for me because I I'm, I've always been gravitating gravitate I've always gravitated towards drumming or the drummers, and I and so ultimately. To me, the bass seemed like the 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 sibling to the drums, like we're, we're the rhythm section or whatever. But like I have to like find the pocket with with the drums, and I want to find the pocket. I want to I want to kind of live musically where the drums do, and and so that was something that I think I gravitated towards um, as far as like the bass. Yeah, that, that totally makes sense. Um, what do you generally use these days for for, for your gear? Um, it's funny because I've owned um, one bass cabinet my entire life. It's two two fifteen inch speakers, and I and so like without really knowing, I've I've been a big I have I have played you know like uh, ten inch um, speakers, but I I think fifteen inch speakers are my jam. And then I've had two different heads. I, I had for my first head was a um, an acoustic, and then my second one was an Ampeg SVT, and I've kind of always stuck with those. Um, I like the GK 400, whatever the hell that is as a backup because it's small because the SVT, not the classic, but the like actual real classic SVTs are, are I think 80 or 90 pounds and they're just big. And they're, they're kind of like the, there's the, I've heard them been called the Ferraris of, of base amps because they're just expensive. And they're uh, like, if you fuck it up, like the tubes are expensive and they're just not practical. Uh, it's not like a Hyundai, you know, you're, you're driving this like, thing that's got a lot of it's going to have a lot of issues uh so svt uh the 15 inch speakers those have always been my jam and i've kind of went through a few different bases um my i was really into rickenbackers and then um landed on an ampeg um dan armstrong which is um has kind of been my thing for a long time and the dan the dan armstrong was because it's a short scale it has 24 frets and I've only, I've, I've owned two. And so the first one that I got had just super low action. And so with a lot of the effects that I um, depend on, um, I, I have to play very high notes and high registry, um, which don't sound high. I just have to play high on the, on the fretboard. Um, so I needed that ability to have 24 frets and also low action uh, to be able to like shred uh high up where like you know the action on on a regular setup it's it's pretty far away from the fretboard i'm sorry so you're saying that you're playing a lot of stuff just like higher up on the fretboard like you know on low e and a or you're talking about like you do like high notes like on like g or whatnot that don't sound high because they're on the bass i I, yeah. I got a little here hold on like this i'll show you like um so like you know here's here's the 12th fret and i got another tw i got another 12 right here so, yeah. so like, you know, I could play like all this crazy shit up here, which essentially would be, you know, here, but so like I play the, I, I use those like, um, line six FM four pedals. Um, it's like a bass synth, um, but I'll run through two of them. And so a lot of times if you play low on the, on the, on the head, on the, on the neck, the, the, whatever the, the, the signal that's going through is too low and it'll just, it'll just crap out. Like, so it'll, it'll hit a note and it'll be like, it'll always go here. Like it'll, it'll like drop to, I don't know if it's even another octave. It'll just drop out and not be the right note. It sounds fucked. So the higher you play, it, it'll sustain those, the, the notes that you're trying to actually hit. So um that, they kind of coincided. Like the line six FM four pedal came out right around the time I got this bass and I was just like, holy shit, I can play fast and I can, and I can get all these notes with this synth sound. And that was, um, 
I think also too, like it helped me, you know, like sort of like define my, my sound as a basis, but in the locust, we were always like figuring out where we would fit um, sonically because with me and Bo me and Bobby had a ton of effects. So we, it, that shifts everything. And then we have, we have Joey playing synth and the synth can, can navigate on, on both sides. You know, they could he, like Joey could play the low or the high. So, so I was constantly trying to find out where do I sit in this song? Like where, what registry, because I don't, you know, we didn't want to compete in, uh, in where in the, in like low highs and mids. So, so I it just, all of these things kind of just helped me like, um, I use air quotes here, like define my craft because I was in the locust, had the ability to try to navigate on, on with the effects uh, of where I would fit in a song. There's times where like um, people will be like, oh, that song's sick. The bass, this, the synth is so sick in that song. And I'm like, that's actually bass or, or guitar, you know, but um, just disguising, I think the, the overall um, instrument, um, redefining the overall instrument as well. So yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Maybe that was a long answer to, to your question. It was a fantastic answer. Uh, thank you. Thank you for being thorough. Um, I'm curious, uh, shifting gears to your to your singing. I'm I'm curious how you developed your your screaming voice, which is obviously it's distinct and obviously it's you know aggressive, but it's also it's also pretty effeminate. And I, I'm I'm curious, like. How, how that developed um yeah I think like uh well when I when I first started singing in in in, in bands I didn't know what I was doing um at least like lyrically I definitely didn't know what I was doing and then as far as like um delivery I didn't know what I was doing so it took me a minute um that was in swing kids I don't I don't think I think it was just I don't know what I was doing but in the locust when 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 I would start when I started singing there was at least three people singing all the time. So, so I would always try to, um, the, occasionally it would sound like similar people, all three of us sounded very similar. So I tried to find my own sound. And, and so we all kind of had our own things, sort of like the bass synth and the guitar, I guess. Um, but yeah, I, I think naturally looking at my, um, looking at my, you know, the things that inspired me as a, as a younger person, as, as singers, I, I, I gravitated towards stuff like, um, sort of like Darby Crash's like snotty, like nasally kind of voice. And, and some, and some of that, that I did in the locust, it, it, it makes me cringe at this point. Um, but it, it's, I learned not to do that. Um, and then, and then it was just like more, recently like in 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 death club and stuff where i started really kind of figuring out like oh yeah this is like how to really do it and, and the locust too um just kind of like figuring out my my sound uh from my voice and um i think um part of me wants wishes i sang uh more more lower but i think my scream is is a high pitch so naturally it'll it'll find that registry and um it just doesn't seem like tough you know uh and i and i like that it doesn't seem tough i, I i'm not I mean, I love shit like Infest and stuff, you know, but it, but it just seems like a dude, you know, like a big dude singing. Do you sing out of like a, like you visualize like, oh, I'm like singing more like nasally versus like I'm like concentrating on my gut or the sort of mm -hmm. shit people do. Like, do you have any of that going on in your brain while you're singing? C completely. Yeah. Um, well, because I think like right now, specifically, like um, my the two like sort of main projects I'm involved in um, vocally would be um, Dev Club and Planet B. And so in Planet B, I, I'm constantly trying to bring it back and not be so full throttle. Like I don't want to be as brutal because Planet B is sort of like in this sort of hip hop realm. And I and I want to have more melody and um, and less brutality. And so like. And also some of the beats in the music is way more chill and I don't want to be this annoying guy screaming. Um, I want to kind of sing it. Um, so also too, like I, I'm not trained as a, as a singer and I, and I, I have this thing where I, I sing um, not on the incorrect key, but like a, like a fifth. And, and I, and I do it um, like without realizing it. Um, I don't, I, I'm terrible with like notes and stuff because I, like a lot of hardcore bands or punk bands now, um, there's the singing is very staccato and and one one note and like sort of like um like these like bah, 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 you know and I and I and I feel that if you say 
uh, phrases and you and you can create melody out of that. And and I and I want to do that. So I I want it to be more musical with anything, uh, Def Club or whatever band, more musical than just um, percussive. I I, I think um, so. I'm constantly fighting, like internally fighting myself, like trying to like r- refrain from just being like full throttle, brutal, whatever. Uh, um, I don't know if you ever saw uh, the movie Something for Nothing, the art of rap that uh, Ice-T did. No. Where he just interviews dozens of different uh, rappers specifically about uh, rapping. Um, I-, 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 I love it. But he interviews uh, Rakim and uh he he talks about how he like writes everything like in a grid so he just kind of like spaces out like where he wants words to go and then like writes the shit afterwards and that blew my fucking mind Uh, um do you do anything like that with your like where you're placing the vocals like do you decide rhythmically it's going to go here here and here before words even enter the equation or do words more often come first um i usually uh write lyrics to a, a piece of music. So um, that would um, inherently steer me in a direction of like, I'll grab a piece, uh, you know, a verse or a chorus or whatever, and, and, I'll, and I'll, I'll find a melody that sits on that. And that will be the sort of basis of what I'll, I'll want to do. And, and it, it, it's like, it's not like there's one way to do it because I feel like if I have a piece to write music to, like someone will say like, here's the song, uh, write the lyrics. Um, and, uh, Finding uh, a sort of hook, a vocal hook out of that um, can can go all kinds of directions. So I need to just make sure I'm happy with this and I'll take out syllables and add stuff and make it fit nicely and and try to find a, a melody in that. Um, you know, and, and again, I'll use air quotes with melody because some, it's questionable. Um, but but uh, um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, um, it's. I, I I never write lyrics that will become the song of a for some for people to play music onto. It's always like the music's already there first. Um, Is that always the case? Like even like bands where you played bass, like the Locust and whatnot, where like all the music came first and then lyrics were last. Totally. With the Locust, it was always music first. With the Locust, it was interesting because even if uh, Bobby or Joey or I came with like a riff. Um, it, we, we never were really attached to it because, um, depending on how the drums would, um, turn out, we would have to shift things. And it was always, here's the rift or the song. And then Gabe would fuck around and we'd, we'd be like, and he, we would, we would, we willingly and always wanted to make the drums the best possible. And Gabe obviously, um, wanted to do that too. So, so we would be, have to like change our rift. Like I have to take a note out or like, we're going to have to change, we're going to play the, this, the the BPM's got to be long, you know, slower or faster. Um, so we would change our 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 sort of structure to get the drums right, and then eventually we get this the song. And then when the song was kind of done, there was we figured out like one person should write lyrics. So we would be like, all right, well you did the last one or this or like I want to do this one or whatever. So we one person would write lyrics for all of us to sing on that song. So, so like we wouldn't just all sit down together and write shit together. We like one person would write the lyrics. We'd write the music together, but the lyrics would be uh, one person's uh, writing. That's fascinating because the lyrics for the locusts seem so um, narrowed. They seem so focused for it to be like like they're. It, it reminds me a lot of uh, Bowie or you know things of that nature where there's like almost that like cut up sort of. Uh, Sure. sort of thing going on like it's not necessarily about like a really obvious like linear topic um do you usually go into lyric writing with unless i'm misunderstanding this altogether and there is very linear topics that i'm just not like grasping but do you often go into it with a linear topic in mind and then the lyrics come from that or is it just like this line can be about this and this line can be about this um, I think like I can only speak for myself for the ones that I've written, but I think that uh, um, it, I think it, it can be applied to the locust for the other the other um, lyricists for sure. But I feel like maybe it's disguised metaphorically. So it's, you know, a little bit vague or the listener can 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 hear this and um, assume that it's about this thing and, uh, and and apply it to themselves and like get something from it because it like means this or that um, they might be wrong or right. But um also like having the bigger picture of like a metaphor, I think is, is a lot 
there's a lot of benefit in that. Um, because also too, like having a, 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 a meaning, like, um, let's say like for me, a lot of the stuff I do is political. So like, um, uh, having a very overtly political message for the most part, I think most listeners are probably like, yeah, I'm on the same page. I don't really need to hear about the thing that you're talking about, the subject. Um, so I think like, it's kind of just, let's say a phrase that maybe um, seems cool or fits or sounds musical and sounds righteous or something, and then uh, make that the like sort of um, theme of it. Um, so there's, there is, there's meaning in everything, even if, um, yeah, there's meaning in everything. All, I mean, even all the Bowie stuff, like his, his, the cut up um, process that he did. I, I mean, he said it, you know, but I mean, um, for, but for us, like uh, it, it, there, even if you were like inter interjecting a sentence with weird words to make it seem obscure, the message is still there for the, for the person writing it. And as far as the listener, I mean, you, you can take what you want from it. Um, I guess if that makes sense, I, I always trip out on like, I, I think I'm paraphrasing, but Ian McKay said something about like, um, the topic of pro, pro being pro-choice and someone someone questioned them about writing another song about being about being pro-choice and he was like yeah well we're gonna have to keep singing about this until until we until we have uh you know the like women's reproductive rights is like a, a thing that everybody has so so we will keep singing about it this is a long time ago uh which is funny because like now like we could fucking we probably could use another fugazi song that's pro-choice you know uh, so it's kind of like that but like um you know with the locusts like there are songs that I think are um, in the realm of, of speaking about being pro-choice, but like, it doesn't say pro-choice, you know, um, maybe it'll say something, um, there'll be the reference to abortion or something, but like, it, uh, you know, that's that. Um, I don't know. Yeah. If that makes sense. I mean, yeah. It reminds me of a couple of things. Um, first of all, uh, going back to Ian McKay, um, I listened to an interview that he did with uh, Ian Sinonius on his talk show like years and years ago and how in minor threat Mackay would specifically not say the word Reagan because there would be a point where like you'll be like who the fuck is that versus just like speaking more broadly and having it be like more timeless in that way which I think he's always done like really well but it's interesting to compare and contrast like ways of making political art because like obviously there's stuff like struggle, which is like more overt. And then there's uh, stuff like the locust and other projects that you've done where like what I get out of it amongst other things politically. And what I got out of it as a young person getting into the locust was that like, it's okay to be weird. Mm -hmm. And that ended up itself being like a, it, it, I thought of it while reading your book and you talking about like meeting the cramps and like you say something about like the cramps not being like an overtly political band, which is true, but I also think it's kind of like not true because I kind of see the cramps as it being like, make a better world by letting your freak flag fly yeah, yeah. kind of band. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting how your political stuff has taken on different forms, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Well, yeah, but but the the cramps is a good example because like for me seeing them as a 12 year old, I was, I was blown away, but they weren't like saying like, they weren't like blurring gender roles or like, you know, saying like women and music, you know, need to be like lifted up. It was like, I saw them and I was like, fucking Poison Ivy is the jam. I saw them with Candy Del Mar on bass. I was like, man, these women are fucking ripping. And then like seeing Lux Interior, like in these patent leather pants with this fucking junk hanging out and shit. And like in high heels, like I was like, oh, this is so cool and weird. And to me, it felt like it was this sort of, um, thing like combating uh you know gender norms in in the in the 80s and that's like a, a big deal because the at the same time what you know like what other bands was, was i seeing like i saw slayer and that was very masculine you know and, and, and you know i would go see like i don't know even like uh like just hardcore bands like seeing you know um I don't know, whatever hardcore band that I, or you know, again, like Infest, it's just a very macho, like they, they weren't like macho dudes, but they were like masculine. And I, and I was like, oh, I want to like, I like the fact that there was like this femininity involved. I, I think that was a political slant to bands like the cramps or something. And that translated into the locust for sure. Um, you know, we weren't saying like politics, these, this isn't our political platform, but we were doing all this other shit. And even like now, like, a lot of trans and queer kids kind of becoming a little bit more vocal than they were when, when I was younger, 
I've had a lot of kids come up and say like the locust helped me and made me feel comfortable uh, as a queer or trans person. And I was like, fuck, that's crazy because I don't know that like we were like, that wasn't our objective, but the fact that that happened is so great. And I'm so glad that we were part of that. And I'm and I'm glad that we were able to help these people. Um, and, and the whole political thing is interesting too, because I've, I've seen the, the, the transition in, in this and uh, in, in, in punk and hardcore. It's slow, but I've seen it. I mean, I saw Converge play a couple of, um, a couple of years ago in, in Texas and it was um, it was so wild to like see all of these women and like and like and like trans kids like stage diving. And it was something that I really didn't expect to see like at a Converge show necessarily. Um, and it and it felt it felt good. It was cool. It was like, wow, this is great. People are getting their shit together. I like, I, you know, I, I'm glad that's that's a thing. I'm glad I can be part of that. So, um, yeah. You pick a lane, I guess, <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah, that, that's awesome. And yeah, I, I'm a, I'm a teacher and I, I hope to have that same influence on kids, even though like, I can't say, I, I can't make overtly political statements one way or the other, obviously, but like, it is my hope that just by like being myself, that like, they will feel like comfortable being themselves, like in whatever, which kind of seems like what you're talking about. Like you didn't make these overtly obvious messages in the locus, but you were just yourself and people just like picked up on that. And then we're more comfortable. And I, I think that's rad. Yeah. Do you do any sort of going back to vocals? Do you do anything to like stop your voice from going to shit? The, the one thing that makes my voice go to shit is talking at, at shows um, uh, to people at, like loudly. Uh, that that's that's the one thing that fucks my voice up. Oh, that's one of the two things. The other thing is not sleeping enough. So like if I if I don't talk a lot during a show and I and I get a decent amount of sleep every night on tour, my, my voice will be fine. Um, those are the two things that, that will ruin it because because performing for 35 minutes or 40 minutes or whatever doesn't destroy my voice at this point um i also learned to sing for my gut as much as i can um but yeah talking over a loud band it, to your friend that you haven't seen in a long time while they're playing oh, yeah. that, that's that's gonna fuck your voice up more than anything else i wanted to ask you about your label and i'm just curious for anybody who was listening who wanted to start a record label at some point i certainly couldn't I, I, I like doing this podcast and trying to help people out through this podcast, but I'm I'm way too lazy to go through the effort of like, you know, getting all those materials and putting all that footwork. This is easy. Um, but what would you recommend? Like what as far as like things that are like that were really big problems that you wish you knew about going into it? Is there any words of wisdom for people who would want to start that? Um, it's a, it's a good question. Um, so when I started 31G, uh, I was 19 and I started it because I was dealing with other labels that kind of were like just fucking around and it was, um, I mean, we were all young and stuff, so I don't, I didn't expect them to be like business savvy and I definitely wasn't business savvy, but my issues were like, um, people sort of changing the artwork or changing the, the layout and, and, and like just cutting corners that um, I think affected the record or the music or the band or, or like they were making shirts that we didn't approve. And I, and I, I just thought this is weird. I, I think the way that this is being handled seems strange. I feel like I could do that myself and at least do it that bad, like probably not worse, but like, but, but hopefully better. And so I, I did. And I, and I, so I started this label and when I was 19, and 20, the 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 landscape of of the music industry on a DIY spectrum was much different. And there was obviously no internet and things were just a little bit more simpler and um more tangible. Like, okay, I have a thousand records, I have to sell these at shows or to a distributor or whatever. Now it's like there's all this fucking bullshit that um that sucks your life away, which is like social media, the internet. And I think there's a lot of good in, in that stuff because you can put your music online now and you know uh, the, the planet can experience it instantly that that's great um i'm not i'm not like trying to sound like a crotchety uh older person but um it's just it's changed like throughout that whole time almost 30 years of running a label is is um 
it's just the, the landscape has completely changed and I've constantly had to adapt and um, figure out how to really do things uh, effectively. And uh, myself and some of the bands on the label suffered along the way in the sense that like, um, you know, too many CDs were made or fucking, I don't know, whatever bands break up. And now I have like, you know, I still am sitting on like hundreds of copies of a record that I, I can't even fucking give away. Um, so like, yeah, my, my, my words of wisdom to somebody would be like, don't start a record label. It's totally not fun. Um, it's, it's a, it's financially, um, stupid. And, uh, I think if you start a record label and you have the ability to, to put out your own shit and tour and sell it, then that's fine because, I can control that. I'm like, I'm going to put this record out of my own band and I'm going to go on tour and I'm going to fucking sell these no matter what. And that does happen, but I want to put out other bands. I just, I can't force them to tour. I can't force them to do whatever. So then I end up like losing a lot of money and that's not why I do this, but I also don't have a lot of money to invest in someone that's just going to fuck around and I'm going to sit on a bunch of their records. Um, what and what sells and what doesn't sells is beyond me. I fucking do not understand um, the world of of music and what people like. I, I like what I like, and sometimes other people like it, and sometimes they don't. So I would just say, don't start a record label. <laughs> yeah. Damn. Um, yeah, I would imagine that would be extremely hard to like rely on other people um, for for stuff that involves like your money. And things of that nature but like what do you just keep doing it now because you're in your you know you've worked hard and you're in your routine and like now you've like made it work but you wouldn't keep doing it otherwise or why do you still do it then yeah so that's a great question so like for instance the um deaf club and and planet b are two good examples like no one else would put out those records um I mean, actually, someone would have put them out, but but I I chose to put them out on three one G because it wasn't I couldn't find a label that I felt was gonna do better than than three one G or had a bigger reach or whatever. So I was like, all right, I'll just do it myself. Um, it's so so it is. I, I do I want to do I want to put out a record on and be in the band, put out a record, do the publicity. Do I want to fucking do all that, pay for everything? No, I don't. But um, if if that's the only option, then that's the only option. So then you know, putting out another band is interesting to me because um, I'll put out something because I love the people in the band or I love the music and that's important to me. And I'll be like, you know what? If it doesn't sell, it doesn't sell. Um, do I think it should sell? Yes. You know, a good example would be like, we're reissuing the new, this Angel Hair anthology. And I I, lo I love that band. I love Sonny K. Very excited. I, I, I know about this. I'm very excited for this. Yeah. It sounds insane. Like it, it sounds so fucking rad to hear it. And I just, that is such an iconic band to me. And I, and I'm, and I'm like, yes, I definitely want that to be part of 3-1-G's legacy. No, no problem. And it sells, it sells fine. It's sort of a, you know, it's a, like, it's a band that's not going to tour and sell them, but like a lot of people know about it and want to hear it. And that's great. So then on the other side of that spectrum would be a band like Stress Positions, who we recently put their record out and, this is crazy because people solicit 3-1-G often and I have a hard time going like, oh yeah, let me put your record out. I don't know you. I haven't seen you, like whatever. And I, I so, I, so I usually say no, but when they sent me, uh, uh, when we started talking about doing a record and they sent me the, the album, I was like, this is so fucking good. Let's put this out. I want you to be on 3-1-G. And then I met them and I saw them live and I completely fell in love with them as people and as, as a band. And I'm like, this is the shit. And it's selling great. And it should because it's the fucking, they're super rad. Um, but then like, you know, I put out the Planet B record and no one buys it. And I'm like, well, does it, the bands just suck? Part of it could be because we don't tour. And, I, and, I, and I'm well aware of that. So like, that's, that we got to do that. Or the fact that it's like not a genre specific band where like, I mean, maybe Angel Hair is not, but but Stress Positions is like a, you know, like a pretty brutal hardcore band. Planet B is like, what is it? I don't know. It's probably not going to sell and it doesn't. Um, and that's fine. So all the, the things that make me take a risk financially um, are things that I can like um, live with, I guess. Um, sure. When, when it's when it fails. Uh, but yeah, for the most part, um, I think about all the things, the different things. Like doing project um, records for people is is odd at times 
Um, I'm like, hey, you guys got all these like, you're all these people like from this like super group, like it should sell. And then and then it doesn't sell and they don't play shows. And I'm like, fuck, like now I have 500 of your records and I and I and you can just take them, just have them. Because right? otherwise they sit in storage, you know, and whatever. One last thing. I, uh, I wanted to know, I've been asking the people this until I decide that it's not cool, but just for my own curiosity, like film and or a book and or a song that was particularly inspirational to you as an artist in any way. Do you have anything, any of those three or all of them that you feel like sharing? Yeah, of course. Um, I, when, so when you mentioned that before, I was like, oh, this is going to be interesting. Um, so the... Um, if I could comment on all three, I would, I would like to, is that, is that all right? Absolutely. Okay. So this, I'll start with the song because, um, at one point I was like jokingly saying like, when I die at my funeral, I hope someone plays uh, the song heart of the sunrise by yes. Um, from the album fragile. And, um, and so I, I think like that, not, like, you know, when people say like, what are your top 10 or top whatever bands or like what albums would you want if you were stranded on an island and like i can't fucking pick all that shit but i do think that heart of the sunrise would be a track that i could kind of like really appreciate being played at uh my funeral if, if that exists um and and i think because of the musicianship um that album is incredible but the musicianship on that that song specifically the bass tone is incredible the sort of like lyrical topic is really nice um but i just like the structure of it the the um, diversity of like where the song goes it just seems like a perfectly written song for me um and then um it also came out before i was even born so i my, my problem with like picking like my top things or like a specific a special song is uh something that happens in coinciding with something in your life and then there's nostalgia so i feel like with something like yes and the album fragile it it was already existing i just discovered it and it kind of meshed into my my life and into my brain or whatever so that would be the song um i was shocked to learn uh in the last like year or so i i didn't realize it until my my co-teacher showed it to me i didn't realize that like yes rules yeah i've like only i've only like per, just peripherally kind of heard dads talk about yes yeah. everyone and, thinks like, of a lonely heart you know they think like the 80s thing but but there there's some shit that rad that record fragile is one of the best um records ever in my opinion yeah so that would be that. And then um, I, I, I kind of like always point back to this book called Lipstick Traces, I think, um, because um, I didn't really realize it at the time. But when I was when I was younger, I was obsessed with um, the Sex Pistols and 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 John Lydon and PIL and uh, the art of the Sex Pistols, Jamie Reed, um, the artist that did a lot of their stuff. Um, I was I was just really and, and like even Vivian Westwood and stuff. I was so in, enthralled with all of that. Um, and so this book, Lipstick Traces, came out and it kind of pointed out the situationists, which were like this sort of collective of artists. Uh, um, and, you know, like that were rooted in like uh, anarchism. And 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 I, I that was a thing that really was like, holy shit. They were like getting inspiration from this other thing that happened before punk existed. And it was kind of like seeing that um the situation is be brought out in that book um really tied in a lot of things it, it, you know it has john Lydon in the cover it's like a picture of him from the sex was on the cover which i think is why i ended up buying why i ended up buying it when it first came out and then and then realizing there's like all this other stuff and then diving into it deeper and learning about an art movement that um was dealing with like other because yeah like punk rock obviously has like deal, deals with like class and and um you know anti-authoritarianism and, and things like that um but this was kind of like explaining it in a, in a broader spectrum and, and and i and i so that book lipstick traces is probably the one that i would that i would pick for like the one overall and then um with film i dude i don't even know there's so many fucking things uh in film um i i don't know that i could that i could choose um one that i would say this is the one you know um yeah, I'm not looking for the one. Just to just to be clear, like that that's a lot of pressure for for any of these. <laughs> yeah, just like something that's like, oh, this is one of the things. Like you know, as far as like the visual of any of your projects or anything like that, if that was inspired by anything. Yeah, well, that that okay. So uh, I recently was on another podcast and I talked about um, Holy Mountain, and that that's a film that I that I think kind of translates into 
a lot of like what the locust aesthetic was and 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 that might be um something that would that would be a substantial film um that that i would pick or something like 2001 space odyssey um that that is one as well um i think there's a lot of like depth to to a film and uh like that um fuck that that might be the one to two that i would pick um so yeah either one of those you could um i would i would reference for, for sure um well thank you thank you for joining i know you're also a podcast host and it's hard as a podcast host to achieve the balance of because nobody who's like listening to this is going to listen to this for me but then so i it, when podcast hosts go w way overboard with like their own like takes on things or whatever but then also having it not go so far in the other direction where you're just like asking question after question and not having i don't know if that's something that like ever crosses your mind when you're doing podcasts but for me it's like really surreal to have people or listening in on conversations that like we're having and being able to dissect it so i don't know if, i don't know if you experience any of that with yours but uh well, but thanks for, yeah well a podcast wise that's interesting because at one point i wanted to talk to you about you you being a teacher and then i was like should i should i ask him like uh i don't know if you if you want to so i, I stopped myself but uh but with me like on my podcast i i sometimes people will hit me up and be like, Hey, do you want some, you know, do, can I be at, or whatever? Do you want someone to be in a podcast? But like for me, when I do podcasts and this isn't a diss on you or any other podcast out there, cause I think there, it's a, it's a very um, relevant platform. I think it's, I think it's great. Um, but for me personally, I want it to be in person with someone that I know, or at least um, have like kind of uh, orbited in there in the same like uh, realm. Um, so that's like, those are my stipulations. So it can be, more of um a conversation because i don't know you you know what i'm saying like so and i want to know you but like for me on the podcast like they know me and i know them and we just get to talk and that and that's a thing uh that i strive to, to have be part of like my podcast but i but i was like thinking when you were talking about the teaching stuff and how um you are hoping that you would make this impact on, on, on the students. And I, and I, I wanted to dive into that, you know, because I do think like, even without you realizing it, you probably are, you know, there's like little minute things where like students are probably picking up on whatever. And then that's great. Cause there were kids, there were students that I, sorry, there were teachers that I had as a kid that um, I picked up on things and it wasn't until later I was like, Holy shit, you know, they came from punk. I just didn't know it. And they couldn't really talk about it. And, and, right. and that was great. So they helped me. Yeah, I mean, I teach music, so it, it's it's uh, pretty easy to just, like, explore creative avenues and tell people about things that, are, you know, again, aren't, like, necessarily overtly political. Like, you know, I've, I've shown students the Shags and, like, Wesley Willis and shit like that. Those aren't, those aren't exactly struggle, but, like, they definitely give off, like, an impression of, like, it's okay to be, like, who you are. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's that's the sort of thing that uh i want to get across Th thank you so much for uh thank you so much for doing this i i very much appreciate it uh the uh locust Arabon radar split was the first split that i ever bought in 2001 and it's been neat because i've had eric on this podcast i've had neil burke on this podcast and now you're the third person involved with that specific record that i've had on this podcast and I don't know. I don't know if that's awkward to like mention, but I just I just think that that's fucking neat. So yeah, thanks for thanks for agreeing to do this. Yeah, I mean, I I love Eric and Neil so much, um, so much. Uh, I I I feel like they are family, and so it's cool. And and that was also too a thing that um, I think drew me to to wanting to be on your podcast. Like, oh, these he had the, the homies on it. Like, it makes sense. That's cool. So yeah, I I appreciate you. Hello, listener. You are currently being hypnotized. You will donate to this podcast at Venmo.com backslash the creative curmudgeon. Thank you for your time. So long.